You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Certainly, the gospel does address man's needs, but rather, and this is the most important thing, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So the point being is that we need to start with God and not ourselves. You know, this becomes now a very valuable test, by the way. Here's just a side note of any teaching or of any doctrine which may cross our path. One false teaching of many religions is what the religion can do for the people. Some people might hope that their religion could give them superior wisdom or monetary gain. Even as a Christian, it can be really easy to focus on your own problems and how God can help you. Instead of putting aside your own desires and focusing on learning about who God is. Today, Pastor Mike will explain that your focus as a Christian must be on God and knowing who He is. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Holiness of God. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's Again, we're back in our series in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, and that serves as our text this evening. And this evening's message, the title is The Holiness of God. The Holiness of God. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So once again, this uh, this evening's message the holiness of God. Now let's back up a little bit. In this particular section of John's epistle, we've been talking about the last couple of times together, the last couple of weeks, concerning the great possibility for all Christians to experience true fellowship and communion with God. Isn't it, I mean, it's so amazing that we can have fellowship, true fellowship and communion with the creator of the heavens and the earth. I I mean, it it just absolutely blows my mind. And also, we've been talking about what that looks like and what it represents. And if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, all of those previous messages have been recorded. You can just go to our website where they're archived. You can listen to them, you know, when you are able to listen to them. Bring you right up to date with all of what we've already talked about. Now, beginning here in chapter 1 and verse 5, John gives to his readers some of the reasons, some of the obstacles that would interrupt this fellowship. 
causing it not to be as full as it should be. And listen, let me tell you something. Make no mistake about this. God wants you to have fellowship with him and communion. That was the very reason why he came into this world. In fact, that's the very reason why he created us, to know him, to have fellowship and communion with him. But there are certain things that stand in the way of our realizing that experience. And it's found within this verse right here in verse 5. And so with that said, sort of sets the platform for this evening's study. We get to our first point, and if you're taking notes, write this down. We have to begin with God. We have to begin with God. That is, we must understand the true character of God. That is, to enter into that full experience of fellowship and communion with God, we have to understand the true character of God. And here, quite frankly, we are told God is a holy God. Now, I believe that many of our problems stem from a wrong understanding of who God is. And in, a little later on in our study, we'll talk about these problems. So anyway, we have to begin with God and who he is. But here's the problem. Many of us, rather than beginning with God, begin with us. And we begin with our problems and with our needs and with our demands. So what can I get out of this Christian faith? What can I get out of having this fellowship and communion with God? Well, if John, who is the writer of this epistle, had the opportunity to address this, he would tell us, forget yourselves and rather contemplate God. And what does he tell us concerning God? Well, again, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So John is saying, in effect, then this is the message which we have heard of him. Not that your needs and mine can suddenly be met by the gospel and the gospel message, which is true. I mean, certainly the gospel does address man's needs. But rather, and this is the most important thing, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the point being is that we need to start with God and not ourselves. You know, this becomes now a very valuable test, by the way. Here's just a side note. Of any teaching or of any doctrine which may cross our path. Think about this. I mean, it all has to go back to God and who he is, his character, his nature. Think about this. The characteristic of cults and every other false religion is that it begins with and appeals to self, promoting the ideas, and this is the hook that draws people in. You can obtain superior wisdom. And isn't that one of the tenets of many of these false religions and cults? Hey, listen, you can receive superior understanding by being a member of our little group. Or, here's another suggestion. They promote the idea that you can get monetary gain. Or you can create your own reality. No wonder they're so successful. Those are the hooks that draw people in. But listen, true Christianity, true Christian faith, fellowship and communion with God, and enjoyment of life, which is what God wants you to experience, 
must begin with him and knowing who he is. Now, something else I want you to think about. According to the Bible, the initial cause of man's ills is that having been created in the likeness and the image of God, and that's what we're told in the book of Genesis, right in the very beginning in chapter 1, instead of living a life, and this is the problem, instead of living a life in subservience to God, we've exalted ourselves. We've claimed sort of an equality with God. But this kind of self-assertion always leads to problems and perplexities. I mean, we as people spend too much time and attention on our own conditions, our environment, our needs, our desires, our happiness. Folks, listen, we need to see ourselves in the sight of God. We need to start with him. And so that's where we begin. That's the first thing that I wanted to draw to your attention. We need to begin with God. Now, that brings us to our second point this evening. And remember now what we're talking about. We're talking about fellowship and communion with God, the things that would prevent us from experiencing that to the fullest. Now, that brings us to our second point this evening. We've got to begin with God, not look to ourselves and our needs. Secondly, we must accept the revelation concerning God in the Bible and primarily in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it is not enough for us to say that we must always start with God. We must ask ourselves, what is the truth concerning God? And these are some of the questions that need to be addressed. Who is God and what do we know about him? Now, I want you to think about this. And this is the illustration. This is an example how confused people are concerning who God is. Ask the average Joe on the street, someone that you come into contact with, maybe someone at your place of employment. Ask him this question. Do you believe in God? And I think the majority of the people who you ask that question would say, yes, of course I, I believe in God. But here's the problem. That same average Joe, when something terrible happens, begins to ask the question, how can a God of love allow such conditions to exist? And think of some of the things that are going on in the world today. And they attribute those things to God. One of the things that just absolutely baffles me and, and is sort of comedic is uh, when these uh, natural disasters happen and uh, insurance companies are involved in that whole process, they refer to it as an act of God, right? And, and they attribute to all of that suffering as if God is behind it. And so this average Joe basically is telling you what he thinks of God and not actually what he knows of God. Because if we've applied ourselves to learning about who he is, if we truly know him, we know that God is a good God, that God is a God of love, right? And he wants the best for his children. So to believe in God, to know him, we must accept the revelation of him concerning all of what is recorded for us in the Bible. And so we need to appeal to the Bible and what the Bible tells us concerning God. Notice in verse 5, go back to our text for a moment, that word declare, you see that word declare there in verse 5? Can be literally translated announce or proclaim. Those would be accurate translations of this word declare. 
And that's exactly what John is trying to accomplish. He is announcing who God is. He's declaring to us from his own personal experience. Notice he is not saying, this is sort of a a picture, a feeling that I have of God, right? He's not coming from what he thinks God is like, but rather he's declaring who God is. You see, there are only two positions. Think about this. We either regard the Bible as authoritative or else we trust in human ideas and philosophy. And it's amazing to me the way when you ask that question, okay, so you believe in God, but can you tell me something about the character and the nature of God and the way that they go about describing him or defining him? So we mustn't trust human ideas and philosophy as it relates to who God is. We have to appeal to the Bible. I cannot know God ultimately apart from the revelation that he has been pleased to give me of himself. I cannot know God except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John's Gospel in chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except or but by me. So if this is true, then I want you to think about this. How then could we believe that we can find God whenever we seek for him by our own efforts? And it can't be done. You have to appeal to the scriptures. The Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher, has to open up those scriptures to us and reveal to us the very character and the nature of God and who God is. This is something that cannot be accomplished by any of us by our own efforts. Jesus is absolutely essential in this process, and we cannot know God except we believe this revelation concerning him. John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, that is Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And so you want to know what the Father is like, what God the Father is like? All you need to do is study the life of Christ as is revealed to us in the Scriptures. You see that? So John, now think about this. There was a time when John had certain ideas, beliefs concerning God, but the truth of the matter was that it wasn't until he met Jesus, walked with Jesus, that those ideas were set straight. And so it is with us in our own experience, right? I mean, think about it. All of us have come into this Christian experience of ours with preconceived ideas of who God is. And over a period of time, applying ourselves to studying and learning of Jesus and and studying the Scriptures, and also through our own personal experience, God working in us, giving it to us, the Holy Spirit, illuminating our understanding, right? Then those ideas have been set straight. And that's, isn't that exactly what John is suggesting here in verse 5? Go back to verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare unto you, right? You know, it was Martin Luther who said, and I quote, I know no God but Jesus Christ. And how true that is. So people's tendency is to say that we are all right in our belief of God. But the trouble is their belief 
in Jesus Christ. That's where the confusion comes in. You see, it is only there in the incarnate Son that we can really know God as our Father and truly have fellowship with Him. And so, gang, we must accept the revelation concerning God in the Bible. And let me tell you something. You'll never be let down by doing that. You don't need to look elsewhere to come to the accurate understanding and description of who God is. Just appeal to the Bible, and the Bible will never let you down, I'm telling you, right? You may have some questions, particularly in life struggles. Where's God? Why? You know, I think at one time or another, we've all had to wrestle with that same question. You know, if God is supposed to be such a good God, why has he allowed something so terrible to come into my life? It's hard to reconcile the two. I understand that. But in time, the truth will come to pass. And God will reveal himself to us. And so we must accept the revelation concerning God in the Bible. It's absolutely true and accurate. Now that brings us to our third point. The next proposition is that we must start with the holiness of God, which is the title of this evening's message. Now, are you surprised by that statement? This next proposition is that we must start with the holiness of God. You know, to know God, to have fellowship and communion with God, that's where we have to start. Shouldn't we start with the love of God? Shouldn't we start with the mercy of God? With the compassion of God? No. John says that we need to start with the holiness of God. God is holy. You see, this is how John confronts us and addresses the subject of joy. Remember last time together, last Thursday, we talked about fullness of joy, how to secure it, right? That was the subject that we treated last time together. Go back to verse 4. Let's just read it again. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full, which is a part of your fellowship and communion with God. It's just the, the fruit and the byproduct of having fellowship and communion with him. So notice here, and then in context, he continues on in the, next, the very next verse, and he confronts us, and he addresses that subject of joy. How? By our understanding that God is a holy God. So don't start with the power of God, the greatness of God, the love of God, although all of these things are true, absolutely true and wonderful, attributes of God. They're absolutely true. But here's the point. You'll never know these other qualities of God, the love, the greatness, and all of the other things that we just mentioned, those other qualities of God, unless you begin here, and that is with his holiness. Let me give you an example of this, and I've already touched on it. So if if the only understanding that we have concerning the character and the nature of God is that God is love, that God is always smiling upon us. Well, when calamity comes a-knocking at our door, trouble, wars, conflicts, what happens? If we don't understand the holiness of God, if that isn't a part of the equation, what happens? We become baffled. We become disillusioned. And thus we turn our backs upon God. We get into that mindset, well, I thought God was a, you know, a loving God and was concerned about me. And I mean, after all, I gave my life to him. Didn't he take control over it? And we become confused. We become baffled. 
And that's why it's so important that we begin with the holiness of God. The trouble is that we didn't start the way the scriptures start. And that is with the holiness of God. So, God is utter and absolute righteousness, justice, and holiness. But unfortunately, the world in which we live in, these are qualities that are absent. And no wonder all of these problems. If people would just recognize that God is a holy God, that he demands holiness, I think it would cause us to be a little bit more careful the way that we live our lives, the things that we choose to do, the things that we choose to do against our brothers and sisters. All of the suffering in the world can be attributed to this very fact. You know, let me give you something else to think about. If you don't start with the holiness of God, you will never neither understand God's plan of salvation. Think about it. Because it's not all just simply about the love of God. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, it's a very uh, precious verse of, uh, of Scripture that really speaks to us about, about the love of God. But think about this. If you don't start with the holiness of God, you'll really, truly never understand fully, comprehend God's plan of salvation, which is that salvation is only possible to us through the death of Jesus upon the cross. But the question arises, why is the cross essential? Why is that the only way whereby mankind can be saved? I mean, after all, if God is only a God of love and mercy, then the cross is surely meaningless. If God is love alone, all he needs to do with man's sin is forgive them. But you see, his plan of salvation has at the center of it the cross of Jesus Christ. And so God is saying, without Christ's death, I cannot forgive. Why is that? Well, simply, God is light. John tells us here in verse 5. God is light, and in him is no darkness. In other words, he is of such a pure countenance that he cannot behold and look upon man's sin and iniquity. It is the holiness of God that demands the cross. So without starting with holiness, there is no meaning in the cross. And this is why I'm not surprised, folks, that the cross has been eliminated in the preaching of many of our modern-day theologians. They have started with the love of God without His holiness. And there's a movement afoot where they've eliminated the cross of Jesus Christ altogether. It's all about love. It's all about what you can get out of having this relationship with God. And yes, that, that is a part of our Christian experience. But we must also teach on the subject of the cross. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be Oh my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We invite you to connect with Pastor Mike and listen to more teachings from God's Word by visiting HarvestNYC.org. At our website, you'll learn all about his ministry and the church it stems from, Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd love you to join us for worship this Sunday at 11 a.m. 
You can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, though, or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out the link under Resources for One Place. Just click on the earphones to listen in. You can also watch other services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. How can we be praying for you right now? Feel free to fill out the contact form at harvestnyc.org. We're honored to lift you up to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House. Oh